1: Well, that was a bit of a race, wasn't it? Give me your race rating, out of 10, and one word. Nothing more. Uh, I'm to start with you, Matt.
0: I'm going to give it a 9.5 out of 10, and the word is going to be prodigious.
1: <laughs> okay, I like it. Um,
2: Dan the Bottas fan. Well, I'm going to give that a 7, <laughs> and I'm going to say rewarding. I will explain why, but rewarding is my one word. Callum. I'm giving it a nine out of ten.
3: And my one word review is apocalyptic.
0: (laughs) 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 Uh,
1: (laughs) I'm going to give it a nine and a half. And my one word review is nonsensical.
2: Listening to the fantastic Cut to the Race podcast. Hello, my name is John Mylander, and you're listening to the Formula Nerds Podcast. Hi,
1: I'm Rosanna Tennant, and you are listening to the incredible Cut to the Race Podcast. Hi, I'm Jordan King, and you're listening to the Formula Nerds Podcast. Hi, I'm Crofty. You're listening to the Cut to the Race Podcast. It's lights out, and away we go. Hello and welcome to the Cut to the Race podcast. We have just had an um, incredible Hungarian Grand Prix. Wow, there's a lot to cover. Um, I'm so glad, though, that we've got just one person in our panel. I mean, I'm happy to have all of you, but there's one person in particular. Dan the
2: Bottas fan. How are you doing today? You all right? I'm not going to lie. I've had better race weekends. Boom. But the race that we got, after what we're about to talk about, almost makes up for what we're about to talk about.
1: I can already see the direction you're going in with this, um, Matt. I think you've had the opposite of what uh, what Dan the Bottas fan has had. Uh, how, how how
0: did you enjoy it today? I'm exhausted. The litany of emotions I have felt between blind rage, elation, and heartbreak. I I need to lie down. Like I we got to wrap this up quick, boys, because I'm knackered.
1: And for, for those that are always listening to the podcast, Matt's sitting here with an Aston Martin F1 hat on and a painting of Sebastian Vettel behind him and a, an SV5 t-shirt as well. Um, Cal, how are you doing, mate? Oh, another awkward one.
3: Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I feel a bit flat. But you know what? Good race. I'm looking forward to discussing the, all of it with uh, two
1: friends and Dan.
2: hi <laughs> <laughs> <Oi! laughs>
1: <laughs> Oh, that's good. Screw you! Ah, oh, the the gloves are coming off on this podcast. Dan, Dan's Dan sitting there with a uh, with a t shirt on.
2: Yeah, I literally. Uh, there's no way I'm not sitting here with a Bottas t shirt on, no matter what happens. Callum's got his
1: orange Max t shirt on, and I'm sitting here in the um, in the merch which shop,
2: he, which he bought at Silverstone, and Max didn't even reach him at Silverstone. Just to add that in, just sorry. God, Lee
0: Dan coming out. The best defense is a good offense. Just going for the soul. Well.
1: The, for Bottas you know you just give away the position to someone else you know at Silverstone you, you could could argue it. anyway
2: great team player great team player
1: <laughs> got to be good at something so um, we have just had the Hungarian Grand Prix um, we knew guys that this wasn't going to be just a standard Grand Prix after what we had in Silverstone the, the aftermath of that um, it was all really the debate of who's going to hit who is it Lewis into Max Max into Lewis who's going to give up but Actually, it didn't end up that way, did it? So um let's let's cover qualifying first. So um Cal, I'm gonna hand it over to you just to talk through what went on um yesterday, Saturday in qualifying.
3: Um qualifying was a bit of a shock to me actually. I mean the the Mercedes looked pretty quick. I mean obviously Q two we saw Max go what seven tenths clear, but then Q three, he he was nowhere. I think he finished four tenths off off Lewis. Bottas was a surprise P2. Um, Carlos going out in Q1 as well. There was a few sort of, you know, shock results in, in qualifying, but I think that didn't really matter, did it, when it came to race day? If, if we're completely honest, qualifying may as well have just been a reverse
1: sprint race. Yeah, we may as well have not bothered, really. I mean, um, one thing I did want to pick up on was... You know, you've mentioned Max was a little bit down on pace, but he then changed his engine, and still to this moment, guys, someone needs to explain to me how he changed his engine after qualifying and didn't get a grid penalty. How did that work?
0: So it came out that he had fractures in the engine mounting points on the car. We all know that once you're into park firm A conditions, you're you're stuck. Whatever you have on the car, they literally changed everything: the engine, the MGUH, the MGUK the exhaust, the turbo, the entire powertrain side of the car. And the only thing I have seen on it is that they literally wrote a letter to the FIA like, hey, stuff's broken. We won't be able to run the race. And I guess there's some provision in the articles somewhere that I have not seen, you know, tip of the hat to the Red Bull team. I, I don't understand it.
3: I mean, from what I understand, it was all above board. It was all following the regulations and stuff. I mean, it's not usual that you can change an engine without a penalty. But I'm guessing, I don't know this for sure, but I'm guessing it was a safety concern and that's how they've got around it. That—that um, That is the only way for me that I could see the FIA sort of letting them do it without a penalty. Other than that, God
1: mm-hmm. knows. And if we're brutally honest, guys, it was probably quite nice timing that, you know, just after qualifying, put a fresh engine in it for the next day, you know. There's probably a little bit of gameplay there, but as you said, Cal, um, if I allowed it, so it was what it was. Shocked me, um, but hey it didn't even make any difference. So <laughs> um, are we ready to talk about the race yet? Dan's shaking his head. Uh, you know, he doesn't even want to be here, but um, I, th- I think
2: we are. So this was... I all... have a duty to be here. You I do, not you attend. do indeed.
1: Um, Dan said he didn't want to be here today and I, I, I gave him a quick uh, slap across the face. Um, but um, this was all set up by the weather. Let's be honest, right? We, we, we had a fairly typical grid, one would say, and it was the weather that really played the part in this. So we... The weather was on and off all weekend. I mean, Dan, set, set the scene for us.
2: Well, it was wet, wasn't it, is the simple way of putting it. And it rained a lot just before the Formula 3 race earlier in the day. And everyone was like, oh, this could be good. This could be good to get rain for F1. And then it stopped and the sun came out, which is typical. And then it rained just before the F1 race and all the little, what are they called? Um, Gazebos. That Them. They all went up <laughs> over the cars. Um <laughs> And then there were all these nice dry grid spots, and the rain kept coming, and it was all slick tires, intermediate tires. No one really knew. And then, yeah, the whole field chose to start on intermediate tires because of the because of the conditions. And then, yeah, so, something something happened after after that.
1: What I found amazing this weekend is how quickly that circuit dried out. I mean, you're, you're talking two laps, and and it's dry again. Um, it's really changing, you know. So I think that's obviously played a lot into the story.
2: Um, when you compare it to Imola, where it was just wet for ages, even when it wasn't raining, it yeah, it was it was crazy actually. You know, as soon as as soon as the uh, no, I can't think of the word. Never mind, sorry. Rain. Dry clouds.
1: <laughs> Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. The sun. Matter. Sun.
0: Uh, I found it kind of funny that the story going up to the race was you know I already spent time. Learning about where the track is in relation to Budapest, so I could locate it and watch the live weather radar. That's how quickly it changes at Hungary, <laughs> and I ended up found I found myself being like a nerd's weatherman. Like, oh, this cell split. It may not be there, guys. And then, of course, whatever I say, you know, I could be a professional weatherman because I got it all completely wrong. That's I think what that you meant. The team.
1: Earlier when I asked you, what does anyone know what the race is, uh, what the weather is? And you said something like, oh, a cell split. I, I, I literally thought you were talking to someone else about something
0: else. You thought I was talking about like the Chernobyl documentary, didn't you?
1: Yeah, yeah, I did. I, I thought you were just talking to Richard about something else and ignoring me. That makes sense now. Um, but it did rain and it rained just before the race. So um, Cal, going to the grid, fairly typical, wasn't it? Um, no, real, no real shocks there. But it was Not really. It was well. I mean, Max didn't crash this year, so that, that was
2: a bonus on the way to the grid. Um, Dan, I was quite surprised actually because they took the tires off for the the tire blankets off for the formation lap, and everyone was on intermediates. I thought there'd be either at least one car nearer the back, probably on wets or slicks, depending on which way they wanted to go. But no, every single car was on intermediates, which I was quite surprised about.
1: So lights out. Um, Dan, the Bottas fan, there's only one person who's going to f- f- explain this. And what's probably going to happen here is I'm then going to ask t- Cal to say what he thinks happened. So, um, Dan, lights out. And away they went.
2: <clears throat> well, first off, I want to just point out here the incident at turn one that saw several cars sustain heavy damage or retire was Bottas's fault. I'm not saying it wasn't Bottas's fault. Bottas caused that incident, and it was Bottas's fault. But I wouldn't be doing the one job I have on this podcast if I didn't defend Bottas. So he had bad will spin at the start. There's no excuse for that. He just messed up the start slightly and dropped back a lot of places uh, into mm-hmm. the corner. He was sandwiched by two cars, Perez and someone else. I can't remember who it was. Fact checker. Fact checker. He was sandwiched by two cars, Perez and I can't remember who the other one was. And he had to break because to, he was like, oh, no, we're going to crash. So he... To make sure that they didn't plow into him from both sides, he then obviously released the brake because otherwise everyone else would have overtaken him because he braked so early. And just when he was about to then reapply the brakes for the corner, Lando cut in front of him and ruined his downforce, <laughs> so he couldn't brake. <laughs> Seb's done it before. No, 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 no. Let me finish. Oh, Seb's done God. it before. It's still Hungry Twenty Twenty One, right? It's it's still Bottas's fault. He should have known that that was going to happen. He should have seen Lando was going to cut in front of him. He should have stayed on the brakes. bloody bloody blah. blah, blah, blah. There were external factors in it, but the blame has to lay at Bottas's door. There's no, there's no other way of saying that. What I will say is that Lance Stroll's was a lot worse. He just didn't stop and just flew into the side of Charles Leclerc. But yes, Bottas messed up today. I have to admit that.
1: Disclaimer: What you've just heard is the factual recollection of Dan, not that of the Formula Nerds.
2: It's actually um, the factual recollection of Nico Rosberg and the Sky crew um, and Toto what, Wolf. What so, you've heard is delusion.
1: Okay. Um, so Dan, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not getting involved in this. But uh, Cal, uh, you are a Max Verstappen fan. Would you like to explain how you saw it? I can taste the salt, I can taste the salt from here. I think this is really interesting because this is, it's amazing how two people can, well, one person can see such a different thing to the rest of us. But, uh, Cal, how did you... First off,
3: obviously, we, we all knew it was Lewis versus Max into turn one. Lewis did brilliantly, got the perfect start, couldn't have asked any more of Lewis. Max got a very good start. Wasn't fast enough, but he got a good start. Bottas, as Dan said, wheel spun on the start, again. Through his own doing. Um yeah, Bottas obviously wheel spun at the start. Again, his fault, his doing. Lando was coming on his right hand side up against the wall. And I believe Perez was going through the left hand side. They both went past. I think Bottas lifted. I don't think he went on the brakes, I think he lifted. And then obviously they both came in front of him to get in, get their line into turn one. At that point, they start braking as they get close to turn one. They're full of fuel, it's wet. They're going to brake a bit earlier than normal. Bottas somehow didn't anticipate this. He goes on the brakes, locks up. I think it was the rears that locked up as well by the way the car turned. The car sort of turned to the right and he slid into Lando, which then forced Lando into Max, who was just an innocent bystander. And also Perez got collected in there somewhere as well. To be honest, that many cars went off, that many cars sustained damage. I can't even tell you who caused what damage. All I can say is that Bottas went into Lando, and Lando in turn went into Verstappen through no fault
1: of his own. So, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to do something that I don't think I've ever done before. Um, let's just have a look at it together. Um, so, Oh, come on! I just, I just, <laughs> just Dan, something you said to me, and I'm not picking on you, but you, you, you said Lando cut in front of him, and just, which, which Lando it's had every right seven, to, to do.
0: Go, way, he also said he was steering. I forget that.
1: Currently, Bottas is driving in a straight line, and the two behind him are
2: faster. Doesn't,
1: so They Stemble's got to get round. Him, and go-
2: do we all agree? Yes. 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 I'm not saying Lando did anything wrong in okay. anything he did. Okay, I'm fine. not. He's also, I just want to point right. out.
0: I think I understand now why Dan is so small. When I think of a sandwich, I think of bread, (laughs) material bread. Let's not get personal about this. this. If you look at this still right here, you have Lando on the inside, the bread, Botas, the borderline filling, and then way over on the other side of the track, we have, I believe that would be Sergio Perez. Mm -hmm. There's a whole other car's width there. Keep that car and a half. Yeah. And let's let's keep rolling and see what happens. Okay. There goes Lando Norris down the inside. It is Hamilton.
1: Norris has, he's now in front and he's moved in front of Bottas. Do we all agree? Yeah. Yes. Bottas Info currently possibly. has not done anything in his steering. Oh, really. Let's let's be honest. He's not changed direction or anything. He's driving in a straight line. Perez has now moved in. Bottas is blocked off. I think that's fair. It, it, Ahead of Bottas drives straight into the back of him.
2: He lost downforce on the diffuser of Lando and drove into him. There's nothing, there's no, nothing to say there. Bottas should have known. You know, Seb's made that mistake quite a lot, actually. <laughs> We're not talking about Seb right now. No, 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 I, I'm I, saying... I, I understand where Dan's coming from with that when you lose airflow
0: over the front nose. And I, I bollocked Seb when he did this. But if you go back and watch that, the first steering input Botas has is to stay tucked in behind Lando. Maybe he thought there was another kilometer to that straight or something. But mm-hmm. we're talking about going into turn one, on not properly warmed up enters, in the wet, fuel full load, full fuel load. <laughs> this is racing 101. You have to leave more of a space and just the momentum carried him into the back of the Lando.
2: I think Bottas was concerned about Charles down the inside going in for it, so he just wanted to tuck in and get through the first quarter safely. Didn't happen that way. Yeah, and but he was, I think that he, was his thinking. He was also it.
1: annoyed that half the grid had got in front of him. Oh well, yeah, obviously. He's he's then not going to take it nice and easy, is he? But three more places. What surprises me here
0: is that it's Lance Stroll just does exactly the same thing. Stroll's is worse because he Strolls doesn't. Is worse. He doesn't have anyone in front of him. (laughs) Says the man wearing the Aston Martin merchandise. I just would like to point out where you actually see Botas' wing dip at this. If you look at the current still you have Charles Leclerc's rear tires, even with the 25-meter board. They are most likely braking at around 30 to 32 meters at this point in the race. Botas is sitting at what? We're going to say 14 meters right now. You wouldn't break down he did. He did
2: try breaking. It just didn't work.
0: Yeah, we watched the nose. He was behind the curb. No pun intended. I mean, if you're tucked that close in behind somebody, he doesn't need to worry about anybody to the left. You have to make the turn before you can worry about your line through it. The guys on the outside, if he pushes them wide, have an exit road. He does it on the inside. He knows he has to make that apex. And he didn't even make it to the apex before collecting Lando Norris.
1: Yeah, so, and again, if you look at it at this point, it was actually probably Max who was being less aggressive. So, Max is tucked in behind Lewis on the racing line. Perez is behind Max. This is, they've done exactly what they need to, Red Bull, haven't they? They are, if you look at this, perfect. They're about to deliver. Cal?
3: Yeah, I'm going to actually defend Lance Stroll here. You've all put blame on Lance Stroll and said it's been worse than... But I am going to defend him because two of you have, like, literally jumped on his back. He... Saw the crash first of Bottas, don't forget. He had nowhere to go, really. At least he tried to get out of the way. He turned to the right to try and do something about it. Obviously, it was all happening too fast. It was his fault. I'm not saying it wasn't. But I don't think it was worse than Bottas's. I think Bottas' could have actually done more. At least Lance Stroll was seen to be trying to do something to get out of the way.
1: Mm. I did wonder, you know, was there an extra damp bit on the track there or something? But. Lando, it was perfect going into that corner. Um, the Ferrari was then perfect going into that corner. It was just the two eager guys behind. Um, Can you play the Lan- the
2: clip so we see Lance's things? I just want to remind...
1: Well, no, no, no. Sorry, Dan. We're, we're just getting to the best part here. Um, so, at this still that I'm looking at, um, Bottas is in contact with Norris. You've got uh, Hamilton, Verstappen, Perez... Oblivious, They are exactly doing what they need to and do. And
2: there's Lando Norris, touch, and into each other goes Valtteri Bottas and Sergio Perez, and that's the Alfa Romeo and Alfa getting caught up.
1: You, you couldn't have done that if you tried. You just couldn't have. Um, obviously, no one is saying, or no one with any brain cells is saying that uh, Bottas did this on purpose. It was temping bowling. It, it exactly was that. And then, obviously, the, the chaos followed behind, but this destroyed how many people's race three four
2: a lot um but the fact that bottas very nearly took out hamilton as well takes away any suggestion that he did that deliberately because a matter of probably a meter and he would have taken out his teammate and that would have really ruined the championship so it just wasn't deliberate so i don't know how people are saying that by any means it's quite handy for mercedes as it turned out but it wasn't deliberate
1: yeah looking at that still it, it, it was close but these guys, you know, they're professional drivers. They do things by. No, I'm only joking. Um, so yeah, that happened. Um, Matt, you, you're the one in the middle here. You, you're not on sides. You, you don't really care what happens with these. It worked out well for you. What's your sort of take on this?
0: I actually, as a you know, Seb and Aston Martin and Ferrari fan, I'm not on these sides. But as a as a fan of the sport, you know, we were looking forward to the continuation of Silverstone. We were due some hard nose racing side by side to see what happened and i was actually more angry about this than i was the incident at silverstone because it was so rudimentary a mistake on Botos and lance stroll's fault lance stroll i think as we all know if you go onto wet grass in a car you actually accelerate when you hit the brakes he was also out of position he i won't say he wasn't paying attention but he may have been delayed in his reactions but for Botos to follow so closely to this apex and wipe out literally the top four, almost of the championship race. I, I, I honestly could not even speak without cursing for about 10 minutes. Uh, there's actually may or may not be a crack in my phone screen right now, uh, because of the rage I felt at just, we've been waiting for this build up all week and it's wiped out within half a turn. <laughs> it, it was soul crushing to watch.
1: Can you imagine if he'd taken out Lewis as well? Can you imagine? This would be a very different conversation, wouldn't it? But, um, yeah, okay, wasn't ideal. We know what happened.
0: That actually ended Perez's race, didn't it, that incident? It did, and also, in essence, it ended Max's. Uh, Max was able to continue forward in the race, but he had such significant floor damage and bargeboard damage, he was basically in a crippled car the entire time, aerodynamically speaking, which led to... uh, (laughs) <laughs> the horrible day he had behind a certain Mister Ricardo. Yeah,
1: and asses and all sorts.
0: <laughs> Can't and can we just say? I think the person I was the most upset about, even though they are a direct competitor, is Lando Norris. Just set that record for the most consecutive points finishes of McLaren, and for it to be wiped out through no fault of his own whatsoever, is just heartbreaking. No matter who you pull for. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: as a boss I'm I'm gutted for Lando I really am I would have rather him taken anyone out but Lando to be honest given the form and streak he was on I'm I'm really not sorry for Lando because I'm a bossas fan but I feel sorry for Lando but this is racing these things happen you see in every series
1: people get hit and it's not their fault wrong place wrong time that's what it is um Obviously, the stewards have given Valtteri a five-place grid penalty for the next race. Um, Thoughts on that, Cal? Do you think that's too harsh, too lenient? Do you think that's about right?
3: I I think it's about right, but it doesn't do anything to help what happened today, to be honest. Um, That's where the FIA can't do anything. They they can't do anything to help Max or anyone else who was involved today, but... Five places in a Mercedes isn't isn't a lot in the grand scheme of things, you know. If he can learn how to drive it properly and quickly, then...
0: It is if you're botos Five
3: places isn't a lot, is it? If that was Lewis, you'd fully expect him to still be on the podium. No problem. Especially yeah. if he qualified on pole. So, in the grand scheme of things, no, I don't think it's harsh enough considering... What car he's in, if you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like Lance Stroll, five places—that's that's a lot to him. But to Valtteri and a Mercedes, it's
2: not. The FIA can't give penalties based on what car. No, they you're can't. In, they
3: can't do that. But <laughs> what, what I'm saying week. is, in the grand scheme of things, it, it's not a lot.
2: Really, they had to give Bottas to and Stroll the same penalty. They couldn't. They yeah, couldn't they did. say Stroll have five, Bottas have ten because you're in a quicker car. <laughs> <laughs> they, no, they, that, they That's they not did. an
3: option. But uh, mm-hmm. I'm just making the point, and I think. On top of that as well, thinking the amount of cost and damage to McLaren, Red Bull for both cars and anyone else involved, like five grade, five place grid penalty is, is nothing compared to the bill that Red Bull, McLaren, everyone else is going to have to actually cough up, especially with the cost caps in place as well.
2: Christian cool. made that point in the uh, post-race interviews on Sky. Mm. Uh, Karen, Karen, Simon, Karen, sorry. Sorry, sorry, Karen. Uh, Simon was like, "Are you going to accept Toto's apology?" Because Toto apologized, you know, live on Sky. In the interview before and Christian went, "Is he going to pay the bill?" It's <laughs> yeah. like, <laughs> no, yeah, strange, strange, strange times at Red Bull. That's for sure.
0: It's also worth remembering that with the cost cap, it's it is a hard ceiling, but there is that five percent provisional allotment above that. I think Red Bull is going to learn very, very quickly this year if this continues how to navigate the appeal for that. It's literally once you hit 100% of the cost cap, you go to FIA, Daddy May I. And at this point, I think the FIA are going to have to allow them to rebuild because we're looking at a whole new floor, barge boards, and God knows, on just Max's car, and Max's car finished the race. We don't even know the extent of the damage on Checo. So, uh, yeah, Toto needs to send a gift basket filled with some dollar bills right now, I think.
1: Mm. well he, he, uh, Horner did indicate it might be a new power unit didn't he for uh, Perez um I think obviously-
2: it was almost it, it it will be I don't think it's it might be I think it's it mm. will be so mm. yeah that will be a penalty at Spa as well for Perez
1: what well, one reflection I will have on Karen Horner um his interview after the race was I actually thought he wasn't as bitter and awful as I expected him to be um I don't think that went very well for him last time he he, he played that game. I don't think it, it made him many friends. I don't think the, the fans liked that approach. This week he was very much, this is racing, that happened. We all know whose fault it is. We'll move on. Um, why, why has he changed his attitude so much? What, what do you make on that?
0: Because he has helmet Marco. We all make jokes about when you hit a certain age in life, you stop having a filter, you stop caring what other people think about you. Helmet Marco has been living there for about 10 years. He has the authority within the F1 world, and he just has the I don't give a dang approach that if something is wrong or something doesn't go his way, he will let it be known. So now, Christian Horner received a massive backlash all across social media last week, and he was kind of like, Ooh, this is good for brand image. Get him, Helmet. And Helmut has been out there advocating for his drivers in a way that only Helmut Marco can.
3: Yeah, and to be honest, I think the the, the whole Christian Horner saga has, has been blown out of proportion massively on social media. Like there's a lot of memes and stuff going around, there's a lot of hate for Christian. And to be honest with you, I think Toto Wolf would be exactly the same if the roles were reversed. Exactly the same. All it is is he's fighting for the team. Any little thing he can claw back, he's going to try and do it. And I don't blame him. getting him a Red Bull, Red Bull fan here, I don't blame him at all. Toto would be doing exactly the same thing. If he thought uh, he could get Verstappen uh, a grid place penalty for the next race, he would 100% try it. 100%. And no one can argue that.
2: I don't think Mercedes would go to the lengths of getting De Vries or Van Dorn to recreate a lap of Silverstone. If didn't the they, the crash didn't into they fly
1: Alban over for over a hundred grand for a day on track to um, recreate that? He Did missed that?
2: the uh, the like sort of prepare day for his DTM weekend as well, just to do that.
1: <laughs> you've got
3: you've got a like anything they can do to help prove their point. They're going to try and do it. And again, you say Toto wouldn't do it. I think he would. A hundred percent, he would. Just to try and claw back at this is the closest title fight they've had for years and they want to win it more than anything. They would do anything to try and claw something back at Red Bull as Red Bull have done to Mercedes.
2: I reckon we'll find out. The scenario will come, 100%. Let's not
0: also forget that the lap that Alex Albon completed in in the Red Bull car was not a proprietary test just to recreate that lap. It was a pre-scheduled event, if I remember correctly. So it was almost a, while we've got him here, while we've got the car, let's see what sticks. I mean, you missed 100% of the shots you don't take, Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott, and now Christian Horner. I mean, it could have been enough to possibly dissuade a steward and you know, get the bang for your buck. If you can already have the driver on track and gain some points back or inflict damage on your enemies, which is what they are, they're enemies, they're rivals in the championship fight, you do that.
1: Yeah, and, and I agree. I think Mercedes would do the same thing. I'm just not I'm not convinced they would do it quite in the manner, in the in the heat of the moment that that Christian did. And anyway, we, we know about this. We know what happened. My point on this was, I think it was a lot more calm and collected today, and and I liked that he didn't fly off the handles. And that could be because he knew his driver wasn't injured. You know, there's less emotional ties to that. Um, what what do you think, uh, Dan?
2: Um, not so much on Christian Horner's reaction. I just wanted to say before I forgot, really, that some people on uh, Twitter just need to calm down a little bit because some of the names that Bottas has been called and some of the threats and abuse that he- I've seen him receive, and you know, I'm I'm no huge person on Twitter by any means. It's ridiculous. I've seen people calling out that someone needs to go and execute the guy. There's there's all sorts because of this number of first lap collisions that he's had. And this is the first time he's retired on the first lap in his career. So everyone that's saying every race he presents a massive danger to others, maybe think before you start typing all these things on the internet.
1: Everyone's got an opinion. Cal, what's yours? Couldn't agree more. I think
2: that... (laughs) What, that he should be
1: executed? No,
3: no, that what Dan said is absolutely right for once. um, Any driver at any point receiving that sort of hatred it is just wrong. doesn't matter what's happened in the race. doesn't matter whether your favorite driver's lost because of it, like forget all that at the end of the day, you're trying to get a guy executed because your favorite driver
0: didn't win the race. Like
3: get life, seriously, that's just wrong. Mm-hmm.
0: I kind of equate it to how the F1, what's what I'm looking for? Passive fan base, not the diehards. A lot of the casual fans always jumped on Roman Grosjean, myself included. You know, it's easy to kick somebody while they're down. It's easy to pick the low-hanging fruit. It's definitely, I feel much more prevalent now because, you know, bless Roman Grosjean, he had a very, very long spell of bad luck. Uh, and it was not <laughs> helped at all by Drive to Survive with them, showing what the other team members were saying about him in the paddock. And I almost hate to say it, but I feel like botoss has been handed that bad luck baton and is continuing to run with it, and people are just dogpiling on him. And it's more impactful because of his team and his position on track week to week. But at the end of the day, it's still a racing driver. He's still mm, worthy mean, of some respect and deference.
1: I mean, we haven't got round the first corner yet, but you know, this is a good conversation. We say it's it's aimed at Bottas. You know, Lewis was getting booed today, and um, you know, they were very defensive of don't boo him, don't do this, do that. But I, I I've got a bit of an opinion, and this may be very unpopular, but I think all of this effort that everyone's going to to call out hate and racism and and uh, equality is is it giving them more of a voice you know is it is it making people who wouldn't normally go down that road is it giving them ideas you know because these are not people who say these things they're not very intelligent otherwise they wouldn't be saying them right um so are we just feeding them the ammunition uh, might be an unpopular opinion but i i open open that to you
2: I know it's not the FIA's fault, and I know they have to do it, but that this links in with, you know, does it give them more spotlight, essentially? Them calling Seb to the stewards for wearing that t-shirt during the national anthem, all it's done is brought more attention to the fact that Seb was promoting, you know, and disagreeing with the anti-LGBT in Hungary and, and that sort of thing. No one really noticed that he wore it for the national anthem, so all they've done now is show Seb as more of an advocate for this by making it more obvious.
3: So, first point, I I disagree with you, Ollie. I think it needs to be spoken about. And all right, yeah, it might put more of a spotlight on it, but I personally am now calling people out on social media if I see them being hate hateful, and I wouldn't have done that before all of this. So, yes, it's more of a spotlight, but at the same time, there's more people actually calling people out and reporting people for it. And second point on the wear wearing his shirt, um. The FIA have a rule in place where during any national anthem, not just in Hungary, it just happened to be the Hungarian GP with all the LGBTQ plus movement going on. Um, The FIA have a rule where you can't wear any sort of politically directed T-shirt or anything during a national anthem just to keep it, you know, non-political during the national anthem, which is, I think,
1: right. It was what Lewis did last year, wasn't it? And then they brought that rule in, yeah.
3: Yeah, and I think that that is right. That is only fair, because at the end of the day, people see that as Hungary then behind that movement or whatever. They might not be. And that's not fair for the FIA or F1 to to say that. Do you know what I mean? So,
1: Yeah, and F1, naturally, they're racing in Hungary. They've obviously, you know, they're working with the Hungarian government. Um, They can't promote going completely against that country whilst they're a guest there um difficult difficult thing But actually i can't remember who said it out of you but they've made it into a bigger deal than it was so actually are they are they saying Rettle, mate? we're making sure it gets out there you, you never know these things
0: it's the same thing as giving and this is definitely more prevalent sadly here in america than it is in the uk uh but the 24 hours news coverage of atrocities committed here on American soil, like mass shootings, thing like that. The first thing they do is they plaster up the picture of the shooter and dive into all of his life details. And it almost gives the perpetrator, quote unquote, the power. Uh, so the same way, and not saying that Seb is in any way a perpetrator, I applaud his efforts. There's a time or place. and He's using his platform. We love him for that. Uh, but in the same breath, if you're allowed to elevate the voice of dissent that Seb's putting out, there's going to be an escalation in response to that. Uh, no matter how unsettling or unendearing it is or how much we don't like it, you know, it's just going to be causality. It's cause and effect. Uh, but mm-hmm. I think the FIA have a new air on their hands. Drivers of today aren't spending all of their time in the paddock promoting their products. They're not doing all the magazine photo shoots every single chance they get. They are now voices. They are influencers. They're trying to influence policy and, there's a right time and place for that, but we had to look at it through that lens.
1: Mm-hmm. And Seb knew that he wasn't going to be allowed to do this. And let's be honest, someone in his team allowed him to do that. You know, he's got people surrounding him all the time. Someone let that happen. And Seb's obviously now been called up, and he said he doesn't care. I can't remember his exact quote, but they he can use if happen. they want to. Exactly. And I think his team are behind that. We obviously know Matt Bishop. We know what he stands for. Comms at um, Aston Martin F1 Team. Bring it on, FIA, is what they're saying. Penalize us for doing
0: the right thing. It's a worthy cause, and the cost is worth the offset and coverage they can get by having it somewhat, a little bit more controversial a way of doing it. In the end, it only promotes the message and gets it out there even more. So that's literally just trying to figure out the cost of a PR campaign. And if anybody can do that, it's Matt Bishop, and keep doing what you're doing, Aston Martin. We as a sport, on the whole, the most of us love you for it.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's a really good point. So, um, should, we, should we go back to turning right on turn one? Turn two now, right? Well, we, the picture I'm looking at is still turn one, but we can move to turn two. I mean, they're, they're pretty close to each other. Um,
2: who, who, who wants to lead the way on this? You mentioned earlier that Max backed out of turn one um, and then, you know, Sir Lewis went into the lead ahead. I think that's because he knows that in Hungary it's just as good an opportunity to overtake in turn two or three as it is turn one. So he didn't want to risk it. He was like, "Right, I'm going to stay on the road." Didn't quite work, but right, I'm going to stay on the road and then try and get Lewis heading into turn one or three before Bottas came barreling in and just giving Lewis a a clean clean track ahead, basically. And then you know everyone made their way round. Lots of people spun. I know Ricardo spun. Uh, obviously, lots of people out of the race. Leclerc spun at the next corner when after Scholl had gone into him at turn one. Um, debris everywhere. And then obviously there was a red flag because there was so much debris, and yeah, all the cars came back into the pits. I'm just looking now. Seven, uh, yeah, seven cars off off
1: track um, at the end of turn one. <laughs> They're all facing in different directions. It, it 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 was it was exciting, but it was very sad that we lost the Red Bulls. I think we've covered that. It is what it is. Um, Bottas wasn't um, shying away from it. He, went around apologised and as you said Dan you know I I like to think I'm a fair person when I need to be that's his first lap one collision of his career Um, he's not known for playing dirty (laughs) if anything he's far too nice and he's a bit of a (laughs) pushover
2: and you know the fact that he did go around in the media pen afterwards when tensions were still high and apologised to every single driver that he'd taken out of the race says a lot as well because a lot of people would just go hide and run away from everything that's just happened Bottas accepted the blame. He was like, right, I was in the wrong. I'm very sorry about that. I don't think any drivers actually accepted the apology. But the act of doing it says a lot about Bottas as well, which is good.
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah, red flag. Uh, needed to be red flag. Back into the pits. Cal, what, what happened here? Because the weather started to play into this again, didn't it?
3: Yeah, it, obviously it was raining. We knew this at the start. And it continued to rain right up until the point where the the, the cars actually went back out on track. Um, What I will say though as well is massive credit to the Red Bull mechanics because they had a lot of work to do on Verstappen's car and I believe they even had to unbend some pipes so that the engine didn't overheat. So they did a fantastic job. Um, But yeah, back to the race. Um, Back out onto the formation lap. Everyone was realising it was dry. Hamilton... And everyone else actually was was on the intermediates still. And yeah, Hamilton just didn't take the gamble, did he? he? He decided to stay out. Everyone else went into the pits. It was absolutely chaos in the pits. And Hamilton was sat there on his own during Lights Out, which is probably something we'll never ever see again, which was utterly bizarre.
2: He took took, hashtag we racers one a little bit too literally there (laughs) and just decided I'm the only one that's going to race. It confused Crofty as well. He was like, lights out and away we go for Lewis Hamilton only, and everyone else was just in the pits lining up. George Russell, George Russell, obviously, all the cars were lined up in the pitch george russell pulled out the pits in p2 and everyone was like how the hell has he done that given that loads of drivers were ahead of him um Williams's pit box is obviously right at the end of the pit lane so all the drivers are in the fast lane queuing up waiting for the green light russell just pulled out his box overtook them all just as the green light went on went onto the track um he had to give all the positions back but yeah it's a very opportunist move by russell it's quite quite amusing actually it was it's was really cheeky and so i uh- I thought you were allowed to overtake in the pit lane or
1: anywhere out of that. So you're not, are you? That's why you had to give it back?
2: I don't know. Because Russell said in an interview with Sky, I think, that you can overtake in the pit lane and he just kind of went for it. He said he knew what he was doing maybe wasn't allowed, but he just said, screw it and did it anyway. I think you you can overtake in the pit
3: lane. Obviously, there is a a thick white line though, So there's not really room to overtake. And I think in the manner that he did it, um, wasn't fair. The cars were obviously parked up because after lights go out they have to wait for Hamilton to pass so it's safe and then a green light comes on at the end of the pit lane. He was overtaking cars that were parked up and sat still. That's where the FIA deemed it unfair. But you can
2: overtake in the pit lane, yeah. He overtook Latifi, which I must. I would have loved to be in uh, the Latifi's team radio at the time where he's just seen his teammates zoom past him and out onto the track. I bet he would have been fuming I think
0: that brings up a very interesting point as to why Lewis Hamilton did what he did. Lewis Hamilton knows the rules. He knows that those guys have to wait for the car that's on the grid to pass before they can come out of the pit lane. I think it was always going to be an eventuality that Lewis Hamilton was going to have to pit no matter what the circumstances were on the track. But he may have thought that there was enough pace in that car that he could offset that lap. Or, excuse me, that 20 second pit stop time to get in, get changed onto slicks, and then come back out ahead of the pack. And it just didn't happen. Uh, Not that it was a bad strategy call. It's kind of cool to see him change it and do something different. But I think they just got that one. I won't even say wrong. They were just unfortunate on that playing out today.
1: Mm. So Toto said, he said, we did exactly the right thing, but we changed it knowing what we know now. this is where I keep getting a bit confused. If Hamilton had boxed, right, everyone else would have stayed out.
2: I think Hamilton was doomed by his being main the first car. I
1: mean by that, sorry.
2: Yeah, he was a bit doomed by being the first car. I think he should have boxed because even if everyone had stayed out, when they all inevitably had to pit, he would have been close enough to overtake all of them. Benefit of hindsight, you know, Toto Wolff's probably not going to admit that his team goofed up, to use Matt's favourite phrase. Um... But yeah, he was. if he wasn't the first car, he would have boxed. So being the first car doomed him today.
3: I think, I think what we need to take in consideration as well is the fact that up into Turn 1, it's such a long way from the start-finish. So the people at the end of the pit lane had actually passed Hamilton and they had a shorter run into Turn 1, in theory, from the, from the end of the pit lane. So that time difference that Hamilton was probably hoping for was never going to happen. If, for example, he was in Austria, where it's all a bit shortened down, he might have gotten a bigger gap. I think he's just unfortunate. It probably just didn't work out quite that way. But, you know, it was all very last minute on the lap, working it out, trying to sort of decide what to do. So...
2: I want to know what would have happened if Lewis had boxed as well when everyone else boxed. Would the lights still have gone off, and how would everyone in the pit lane know when to go? I would have. I would have quite liked to see that. You know, how would Crofty have commentated it? First of all, he wouldn't have got to say his favourite catchphrase. It's that would have been green light
0: and away we go.
2: Yeah, it's not, it's not all, the same, all in single is it? file. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: yeah, I mean, this was. Let, let's just reflect on this, right? This is a scenario that we have never seen, and as Cal said, we'll never see this again, right? We, One car. On the grid it was it looked so alien it was just it was just bizarre and all of these circumstances so lewis had got you know his competitors taken out he's in the lead everyone thinks oh yeah here he goes he's got lucky again and then that happens
2: incredible when the red lights were on mercedes were thinking jackpot because red bulls were miles back about 10 seconds after the red lights went out they were thinking ah balls because that's when they realised they messed up. But they wouldn't have realised when Lewis was the only one waiting. They would have thought they'd played a tactical genius. Didn't quite mm. pay out that way.
1: I mean, Lewis had a great start out there on his own. You know, he, he really, really got got his hands dirty. It was so weird seeing one car drive off. Imagine being Lewis. It's like bizarre. You know, it it, it was interesting. We'll probably never see that again. Um, and it wasn't long until they caught Lewis up, was it?
2: I mean, they were basically on his back by the time he was in the pits. Well, he was on inters on a pretty much bone-dry track. You know, he was never going to last long. He had to change them. up His tire pressures in that, his tire temperature, sorry, in that one lap must have been extraordinary compared to the rest of the field.
0: And I would also like to point out, there's a very, very key thing that led to a, uh, a small team points difference in this whole scenario was George Russell having to give back those positions. Once Lewis Hamilton came into the pits, who remembers what the top three were? At that time.
2: Ocon, Vettel, I can't remember the third.
0: No, it was, so- o- it was Ocon, Vettel and Latifi at that yeah. point in the race. Oh, that was it. There was a, re- a Williams running in P3. And I am not besmirching Nicholas Latifi in any way whatsoever. I think there's a reason the sport and the fans on the whole, dare I say, rate George Russell higher than Nicholas Latifi. So my first initial thought is, okay, what would have happened if Russell was there? Would that have led to a better points haul for them? Don't get me wrong. We'll talk later about what happened with them. But could that have changed the top three and the structure up there a little bit more? I believe so. Uh, but, I mean, come on. When's the last time we, we've all been screaming about a Williams in points finishing positions? There was a Williams in a podium position for a while today. That's just how out of hand this race got with everything and the differences in strategy.
2: Uh, and George and his punches, eh? I don't think it would have changed the end result. I think it just would have been George was where Latifi finished and Latifi was where George finished. I think that's the only difference given the car they're in. But it was blimmin' good to see the Williams up there again. I loved it.
1: Yeah, it was. So, you know, at this point, we've got Hamilton in last, but that's only 14th, right? So it's not last last in my head. This is this is achievable, I'll be honest with you guys, I thought, yeah, it'll probably finish around there. Um, And we've got Esteban Ocon leading the Grand Prix, Sebastian behind. Uh, And Verstappen, obviously, I think was about 11th at that time. 11th, exactly. um,
2: Wow. (laughs) For all those people that said, oh, this race is dead. Right. Um, It was at this point of the race Mm. that Cal went very quiet. With Verstappen very far down the field, and he was very angry at a certain Mister Bottas, and it's quite funny.
1: I think Cal turned it off and went from that. No, I didn't turn it off. I just fell
3: asleep. I think it was like lap twenty, when things had just sort of settled down. I just nodded off for twenty laps, and I woke up, and um, Hamilton and Verstappen had pitted again, back onto the mediums. But we'll, we'll get to that. But that's that's when I woke up, and then interesting things started
0: happening. Mm, so- very quickly, just to make fun of Cal. We actually talking before the podcast about when you're a kid and you have that emotion after you get spanked by your parents and you go to your room and you mother at them under your breath and you cry in your bed and you have the most amazing sleep of your life. I think that's the nap Cal had today up until about lap 20. Just like screw you guys, throw his toys out the pram, (laughs) go lay down in the bed, came back, rejuvenated and refreshed for the man we see before us. So once again, Botox doing well unintentionally. can not do that.
1: (laughs) that. (laughs) Um, Can't do what? Basically everything you just described. Beat your children.
0: Stiffing oh you could when something. I was
3: younger, that, that happened. Maybe
0: yeah. not now, but i the <laughs> I guarantee you were the poster child of somebody that got their
1: <laughs>
3: yeah, We're not
0: going into this. We're not going into child rearing practices on enough one. My podcast. grandma
1: used to have a spiked wooden spoon. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was smooth until you were born, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, yeah. I was terrified of that thing. Um but going back to the race, um, Hamilton couldn't really overtake anyone. Um, Verstappen couldn't really overtake anyone. It was when he next pitted, wasn't it? When things got due say.
3: That first sort of period of the race, once it had all got back going again, was actually quite bizarre. I still couldn't believe what was going on. Hamilton was in last. Verstappen was outside of the top 10. Ocon was leading the race. Williams was in third. I just felt like I'd sort of gone back in time. And Mercedes and Red Bull weren't like rubbish and Williams were good again. It was it was so bizarre. But what I want to give a good shout out to, because I know he'll will get forgotten about otherwise, is Mick Schumacher. Those first few laps, he was like what, tenth?
1: Ninth or tenth? So he started in he started in 20th, I think, and he was tenth yeah. by the end of the first lap, yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, the, the first lap after the restart. Indeed. The second um, first lap. Yeah, and he defended so brilliantly him and Verstappen I mean obviously Verstappen had a severely damaged car but seriously Mick Schumacher impressed me today and it's a good sign of things to come for, for Mick Schumacher
2: but It you- reminded me of the old Mick Schumacher in F2 sorry Ollie it was it was really nice really nice to see and he Verstappen did not have an easy time if you'd said in Silverstone or at Silverstone or any race this season Verstappen's going to struggle to get past a Haas everyone would have gone <laughs> yeah right but he did genuinely struggle getting past the Hess. It was it was great to see,
1: mm, and it was good racecraft. It wasn't necessary that so much that one car was damaged. You know, this was they were racing. They they the cars were equal, and uh, it's just reminded me of Hamilton trying to get past Giovinazzi for a while as well. At the time, I was like, oh, "Bugger off, Giovinazzi! Like you're not going to win this race, mate. You're in last and you've got a penalty." But he got the opportunity to show himself against a seven-time world champion today. So why shouldn't he?
0: I think today was also a very good indicator of why the 2022 body regulations are coming and that, yes, we do know that Max Verstappen's car was damaged. I don't think it made it as bad as a Haas today. Uh, we all know that Mercedes has struggled when they're in the pack and they're following, especially deep into the pack. Uh, it could have been a completely different outcome, I feel personally, with the changes in 2022. Uh, you know, Daniel Ricciardo has struggled in that car this year. He kept Max Verstappen behind until the end, and I'm not—I don't want to knock Max Verstappen. I'm not going to knock Nino Ricardo. I think it's just inherently part of the deal you have with the overheating in a car's wake, the turbulent air in the outwatch. It was—it was weird to see you know, Giovinazzi holding up a seven-time world champion, Mick Schumacher, a great little racer, holding up Max Verstappen. It, I didn't plan on that, and it was kind of fun to watch. It was a mix-up. I do think it's quite important to
2: remember, though, that Verstappen was missing quite a large chunk of car and an even larger chunk of car was broken. So he wasn't performing at peak Red Bull performance. Doesn't take away from what Mick Schumacher, or Antonio Giovinazzi did, by any means. Or well, Giovinazzi was on Hamilton. But yeah, Verstappen didn't have every tool at his disposal that he normally has.
1: Absolutely. And it's what do you guys think of the circuit? I mean, the they always say yeah, there's no overtaking any of this, but it's still an exciting circuit. There is overtaking in certain places, but you you have it's not easy, and that's where you see good racing. What do you reckon, Cal?
3: So I think that this circuit is um, it's it's great for qualifying. Lap. It's great for a car to fly around on its own. It's a challenging circuit, but in terms of overtaking, it's near on impossible. There's like two places to overtake three if you're ballsy enough to go into turn four. Other than that, the whole circuit is just like Monaco and you're just following each other. You you can't overtake anywhere and that's a shame because the actual layout of the circuit and the the flow of it, I'm a big fan of. But maybe the 2022 cars being a little bit smaller and more agile with overtaking it, it might become a more prominent
1: circuit on the calendar. Well, we Formula 3 proved that you can have a proper scrap there. Um, Matt, what do you think?
0: I was about to say, I watched some of the Porsche Super Cup race as well. And it was awesome. I would love to see something like BTCC at the Hungaro Ring. Because we always talk about, you know, Silverstone has some great racing. But these cars are massive compared to the cars of the time when some of these tracks were constructed. I think 2022 is a step in the right direction. It may not be the be-all, end-all. It's not going to be back in the 1950s. All over again, but they got to just tone it down a little bit in a little bit smaller car or maybe even change the track a little bit to accommodate the new dimension of race car we're running today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I'm really hoping that we can see the sort of the F2, f F3 scraps in F1 next year. Um, this really was sort of the end for Max. As you've said, he couldn't get past Danny. He pretty much stuck where he was. Um, it wasn't his day. Um Lewis Hamilton, however, just i'm not I'm not sure how he did it you know it's just place after place and then tactic and then place and it it almost feels a bit ridiculous sometimes, doesn't it? How does this man do it? Dan the Bottas, fan
2: <laughs> what man are we on about
1: <laughs> uh sir and
2: um, because well, he's Lewis Hamilton isn't he? <laughs> he's just there's no is, other way of saying it it, it
1: is ridiculous like you you're seeing. Every driver struggling out there, and then somehow he's just able to work his way through. And yeah, okay, I enjoyed it today because we actually saw real scraps, and you know, the the scrap with Alonso was beautiful to watch.
0: Was that the best racing of twenty twenty one so far for Lewis Hamilton? Really? Yeah, yeah, up there. Yeah, I mean, I am not a huge Alonso fan, but my God, we've gotten the time machine went back to two thousand and seven. There, guys, that was amazing and there's a reason we'll talk about later in the uh podcast here he secured that win for ocon because it took lewis hamilton about what five laps that's the reason he was so far on the podium Alonso gave that man everything he had in that wily old cat's bag of tricks and lewis hamilton earned it tip of the hat to him but you, come on to hold up lewis hamilton on a charge like that for seven laps it was beautiful yeah, and I think Lewis Hamilton needs races like this every now and
3: then to be, you know, backs against the wall, got to dig out a result to prove that why he's a seven-time world champion. Because a lot of people just think, oh, he's in the fastest car, and he just sort of runs off into the distance, season after season. But you know, that that's not the case. He does have the skill. He does have the racecraft, and he he certainly has the, the desire after seven world championships to go and compete and go from 14th to third. I think he had a fantastic race today, and I think he proved why he is up there with the greatest of all time, if not the greatest of all time.
1: Yeah, and and, you know, Fernando's a two-time world champion. These guys were teammates. Fernando knows exactly what Lewis is thinking, and they weren't messing around, were they? I mean, they, they were millimetres. I think they touched at one point, you know, going into turn four. They're going 180 miles an hour. Lewis, realistically, should have just gone, all right, mate, okay, I, I, I see what you're at. I need these points. Nah, Lewis wasn't going to take that. And it was lap after lap, finding a different line. Like, that's the old Lewis, um, not just who just turns up behind, flicks the DRS switch and goes past. Like That's boring. We saw some real racing today. I, I really enjoyed it. And like you said, Matt, it was Fernando Alonso who won that race for Rock
2: I think Lewis loves these battles as well. Though. you know, He said before he doesn't like just being 20 seconds clear of the field and cruising to victory. He'd much rather fight with every morsel in his body for that victory. And I think it's moments like this where he has realized, yes, I want to try these new closer racing regulations. Let's extend my contract because I love the wheel to wheel racing. That's why I'm a racing driver. I'm not a racing driver to just cruise around to victory every week.
0: I am not a golf fan at all but I equate Lewis Hamilton for the last couple of years as like the guy trying to play an entire round of golf with nothing but a four wood just to give himself a little bit of a challenge to feel alive. And not only is he, is he good enough to make that happen? He's almost like that, a robot that you cannot pull the same move on twice. He learns every time, which is why it's infuriating as a Seb fan to watch him just spank everybody week in, week out because he earns it. Uh, but that was the closest thing to, you know, the vintage Hamilton, where he he was actually challenged today, period. There's mm. He hadn't been in so long, he got on that podium like a man depleted, because he was scraping the bottom of the barrel, even the bottom of the fuel tank with some of the cars. Mm. It was well, wonderful.
1: Yeah, I mean, you say, you say that. We, we, we were watching, we were obviously watching uh, Hamilton, and was he going to take that last pit stop or not, and then go on the hunt? And I thought, thought to myself, I thought, bloody hell, I'm knackered. I would hate now to have to... Imagine being him. You've done this race so far, all this drama's happened, and then you've got to go on the attack of your life um, towards the end of it. You know, it, it, It's relentless. And you, you, it, I think Lewis is getting a bit old now. He, he's panted for the last two races, hasn't he? He's had to lean over and all sorts. Um, but I like that. I like seeing the human side, not the robotic side.
2: Yeah, Alonso in the media after the race uh, said that it was important for Max that he held Lewis up, which I think is interesting given that it was kind of Ocon who the reason that he held Hamilton up. So I <laughs> wonder, wonder who he's supporting to win the championship. He's obviously got some grudge against Hamilton, maybe from 2007 from when he held Lewis up in the pit lane in Hungary. Who knows? Possibly. Cal?
3: <laughs> I, I wouldn't say it's a grudge. I, I would say that Ocon, uh, not Ocon, sorry, uh, Alonso is a fan of. F1. He knows he's not going to win a championship, so therefore he is a fan. You know, as a, and a competitor at the same time. He wants to see Max and Lewis go toe to toe for the rest of the season. He doesn't want to just see Lewis run away with it. He wants to see Lewis challenged. And I think that's where that comment came from. He wants Max to stay in, you know, close proximity to Lewis. Uh, otherwise, Lewis will just run away with it. And I think that's where that came from. I don't think there's a, a grudge from. What fourteen years ago? Coming back up.
1: I mean, I I, I definitely think there's still some, uh, st- st- still some, still some things between them. You know, they they really struggled, and I could you can see that in their racing, right? It it was it was gloves off. I I, I agree with you though, Cal. I think Alonso just wants to see racing. You know, support the younger man. You know, Lewis has had so much success. Give it over, man. Um, talking of someone who hasn't had so much success. It takes us to the finishing line, really, doesn't it? Um We did have a battle um, to get there, but it was a new race winner by the name of...
2: Esteban Ocon. And there is absolutely no one on that grid that I feel deserves a race win more than Esteban Ocon. His family gave up absolutely everything to get his karting career anywhere. And, you know, they sold pretty much everything they owned, bought a caravan... And travel around Europe just to fuel his karting career and his karting journey they had to crowdfund everything to get him to where he is today and he's paid them back in that one race today and I was honestly I was so so happy for Ocon you know as much as I like Seb he's had his time he's won races this, this was Ocon's day sorry Matt
1: Ocon's had um, he's had a tough career you know he, he's he's not been in the right cars he's had his incidents and he's been questionable in F1 so much but I've got a notice. Shout out to our uh, good friend Crofty. I could hear his voice wobbling when uh, Ocon crossed that line because he he's obviously has been on that struggle with him. He understands the, the the things that you know people like us don't see. That was a that was a game changer for Ocon today, don't you think, Cal?
3: Hundred percent, hundred percent. That that will give him the belief. He now believes he can go and win a race. All right, circumstances led to it, but he still had to fend off a full-time world champion for 70 laps, well, 68 laps. Like He did well today and he he deserved the win, there's no doubt about it. And I think, touching on Crofty, when I first heard that when he crossed the line, I thought to myself, this is going to be a moment that F1 fans will relive for years to come. That piece of commentary will become iconic. It It was brilliant and I don't think there was any better man to sort of see Ocon cross the line in the commentary
0: box either. Well that and it's a statement win. You know yes I am a Seb fan that should come as no surprise to anybody by this point who listens to the podcast but he was unflappable today. Seb had his one chance and tried to do it with a pit stop. It didn't happen and literally the entire race Esteban saw the same car behind him after the second restart and he did not put freaking tire wrong the entire time uh he was actually talking in the uh interviews after the race he had a couple of times where a tire would start to lock up and under rotate and you know he was on a knife edge the entire time he maintained his calm and he got it done and it's it's the feel-good story the surprise result and the uplifting moment that this sport has needed you can't knock it in any way shape or form
1: Uh, and i think i think you know the, the likes of Lewis and the whole grid, they really respected that because Ocon, God, I feel awful saying it, but he probably wouldn't have ever had a, 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 a win in F1. You know, it reminds me very much of where Gasly was when he won in Monza. It's, it's very, it it feels similar to me where you've got that one chance and you don't mess it up. And I, I think that that's what I saw today. Um, it, maybe his that win was even better than, than uh, Gasly's in Monza. Dan?
2: Just got two very quick things. Number one, uh, Alonso proved Rosberg wrong today. Rosberg in the commentary box, which by the way, I thought he was actually really good in the commentary box today. You know, say what you like about him, but I really enjoyed him. Um, Rosberg said, there's nothing worse than seeing your teammate win in Formula One. Then Alonso was there hugging Ocon, showing him to the crowd. He was the first one. They were clapping him in part firmate. I thought that was that was lovely. And then secondly, The hardest time for a driver to perform well is when they're driving under pressure. We've spoken about it no end with Bottas recently, how he's under pressure for his Mercedes seat. He was under pressure today and he messed up. By the way, sorry to uh, Andy and Elton that I know are listening that would want me to try and protect Bottas a lot more and get into more arguments. But I can't disagree with what's being said today. Um, But yeah, Ocon was driving in the most high pressure situation of his career. And he did not put a foot wrong. So fair play, fair play to him. You know, he nearly got in that Mercedes and he didn't. And he's almost proven why he could have got in that Mercedes. Thank God he didn't as a Bottas fan. But still.
1: Uh, Callum, you look like you're about to explode.
3: I think me and Matt have just seen the same message. Um, Richard, our Twitter guy, he's the man for the news, shall we say. Um, Chris Medland has just tweeted that, Vettel is likely to lose second place, as one liter of fuel was not available in his car at the end of the race. Matt's face right now.
0: Shut That's up, Dan. At least my driver finished so the race. So I sorry, but that changed my one word to
2: shit. Your face. <laughs>
0: And just just while we're Stop talking, that, about... at least inc- my driver
2: finished the race. That will go <laughs> what down. While we're in talking history. about while we're talking about incidents as well, uh, there's reprimands for Vettel, Science, Bottas, Stroll, and a reprimand for Ocon. There's no further action for any of those other than a slap on the wrist, which is good. Okay. Not so much for Seb.
0: Sorry, guys. Sorry, Matt. On. But the thing is, okay, did they call? Uh, George Russell in for the same thing they were not the only cars to stop on I was just about to say that if that
3: if that applies to Vettel that applies to Russell as well doesn't it who got his first points in a Williams there.
2: unless Russell stopped early enough that there was still enough fuel in the car it, he maybe he stops at
3: the end of the pit lane but yeah, who what knows? I will say is I know that the. The FIA need one litre of fuel at the end of the race to test it and make sure they were using the correct fuel. Nothing was tampered with and all of that. If there was nothing in that car of Sebastian Battles, there's a there's a chance he may even be disqualified completely.
2: Yeah. They wouldn't say there is a possibility of it being disqualified unless there was something wrong with it. So I now can't see a situation where he won't be disqualified. Who does that mean gets on the podium? Science, I mean, science gets on the podium if he finished P four. So Hamilton go to P two, which helps Mercedes. Science would go to P three, which helps Ferrari in the battle with McLaren. Am I right? Yeah. Sorry, Cal looked disgusted, but I think that's no, because Hamilton I think it's gets the way more you points. Said it.
1: Yeah, I don't think you said it in logical order, which is why, but through both me and Cal. Um, oh, sorry. I'm also just looking at this, thinking this is absolutely ridiculous. Um, but. What we did see, I mean, nothing about this whole race was standard. Um, Ocon, he 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 accidentally went past the pit lane on the way in, didn't he? And he was going to go around again. And then he stopped the car, and then he did like this 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 run of honour. It was it was emotional, man. I mean, if you're going to win your first race, do it in style. Go, anyone who's going to win a race in future, don't go into the pit lane. Run
0: down the home straight. It was way better to watch for us lot.
2: Like Jensen Button in Monaco, reminds
0: me of that. So, the official technical delegator's report has just been released. They only recovered 0.3 liters from Sebastian Vettel's car. It is being referred to the steward. So, it is not official that he has lost it yet, but it's probably coming. And it's going to be reflecting upon Russell as well, unless they get less than a liter.
2: No, 0.3 is not close either. So, that's no, not like not. they could... No, it's not at Ah, deary me. He, the, I'm actually sad... For Seb, I know I laughed at Matt immediately, but I'm actually sad for Seb.
1: But if you could still take fuel out of the car, then you can still test it. They're not going to test a whole litre, are they? Just the little they need yeah, a certain yeah, cross sample. Pet.
3: Yeah, I think the machine they use to test it needs a litre, basically. Or they split it into different samples from a litre to do different tests with it.
1: FIA, yeah, um, F1 management, these are the little things that let our sport down.
2: Think. At the end of the day it's stupid but it's the rules like they've been the rules for however long they'd be the same yeah. rules for whatever driver I'm not saying I agree with them I, I don't I think they're stupid but it is the rules you you can't complain no, the drivers and teams know the rules
3: I I don't think that rule is stupid because you know athletes in running football other sports get tested for doping it's only the same as that really isn't it it's like putting your car on steroids if you put a higher performance fuel in it than you should do I think it should be tested I think that's right and I think the rules are there black and white you know if they don't see it or if they don't honour that then they've broke the rules it's as simple as that.
1: God, as we're recording it's all happening um, Hamilton has um, gone into the doctors he is feeling unwell um, dizzy and fatigued he is uh, being broke. seen to by a doctor at the moment.
2: I think that's. I think that's a little old. I'm pretty sure he's free from the doctors now because he's been to the press conference. But yeah, I think he was just dehydrated, and he said he thinks he's suffering the effects of long COVID.
1: One thing I I, I haven't mentioned is that video of George Russell having a, a few tears. Also, that hit hard, man. Like uh, a few people who don't like him at the minute. But wow, what do you reckon? What, what did you think of seeing that, Cal? I thought.
3: That was three years of hard work and dedication to Williams. Constant disappointment of not getting into the points through no fault of his own most of the time.
1: No, mostly then, fault of his own though, wasn't it? You know, he crashed by a safety car, and he crashed with Valtteri Bottas. Um, yeah, but the, quite a, know, few a few though. yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a few
3: bad luck incidents as well, wasn't there? And yeah, it's just been three years of hard work, and then to see both cars at the same time do it. And they're now eighth in the constructors. I can fully understand why he's, you know, he's emotional because the team means a lot to him.
1: What did you make on that, Dan? I know you're a, you're not his biggest fan, but when I saw that, I saw a man who he wasn't faking it. He was. Have you ever seen a driver cry over P9 before?
2: I can't recall it. I mean, yeah, I'm not Russell's biggest fan. I'm happy for Russell. The guy, the guy deserves some points. He's been at the back of the field. For so long, and will it to be uh, not even so much George Russell? Williams deserve these points. You know, when you think about Russell's debut season, he was qualifying P19 every single race, and he had no chance of getting higher than that. He's now getting into Q3, he's getting into Q2 every single week, except this week. Um, and yeah, for the Williams family sat at home watching this, they must be so 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 pleased that finally they're it's still their pride and joy, even though they're not part of the team anymore they finally got points in the hard times. They can see light at the end of the tunnel. So I'm really happy for Williams as a team and Russell deserves them. And Latifi's being looked over as well. He finished ahead of Russell today. Fair play to Nicholas, get him some Nutella immediately.
0: I think Dan touched on exactly why this is so emotional for George Russell. Uh, both those drivers forced a relationship with the Williams family. You know, they were involved with Claire and, you know, Frank who are pillars of the sport. I don't care who you are. Uh, to want that so badly for them, especially putting in the graft that George Russell has for these years, watching those people who he had a brilliant relationship with leave, having a not uncertain future with Doralton, but it's not as cemented and concrete as it would be with the Williams family, and finally seeing the changes in the investiture and everything make good and get them points, that that's, has to be getting a massive weight off your shoulders, and the fact that they're able to do it with a double points finish, I think makes it even sweeter and even better a moment to revel in for him. I, I don't think it's disingenuous or pandering at all. Uh, I think it's the culmination of a goal he's been chasing for years now.
1: Absolutely. And, um, you know, Dan, I know you, you talk about these things on your podcast, but we know that Bottas's management are talking to other teams. We we we've heard about potential drivers going into that Williams seat. Um it does it just seems like now's got to be the time, doesn't it? And and I'm asking you that as a Bottas fan and an F1 fan. He's earned it. I don't think you can disagree with that.
2: Unquestionably, Russell has earned that seat. There is no argument in a million years that Russell hasn't earned that seat. I would never say that. I, as a Bottas fan, also feel Bottas has earned that seat, excluding today, the last five races, probably, where he's been under intense pressure. He has performed solidly and well. Toto now needs to weigh up. Does he want someone to replace Lewis Hamilton in the years to come? Or does he want the stability heading into the new regulations? And if Russell does get in that Mercedes, Toto... I think and hope will do all in his power to get Bottas a good seat in F1 in the coming years' time. But, you know, has today affected Toto's decision-making massively? I don't think so because I feel like Toto's not the kind of guy to look at one mistake and go, right, you're out of the seat, goodbye, go away. But it definitely, definitely hasn't helped. So, uh, just puts Bottas under more pressure, really.
3: Uh, Without being biased here, I think that today has sort of put the nail in the coffin for, for Bottas, especially with George getting points. Um, but I wouldn't like to see him leave the sport. I think he could do a job for an Alfa Romeo or Williams or someone like that. I think what Mercedes will be looking at now is, is like Dan said, the successor for uh, Lewis Hamilton. And I think they need... That crossover they need them to be in the team at the same time so Lewis can sort of you know sort of show them the ropes in a sense of how that team works who to go to what what for all the the behind-the-scenes stuff that Lewis does they will want that from George or whoever replaces uh, Valtteri and that is what it will be George will just become
1: Lewis's apprentice it's very easy for us armchair experts to um, say what's the right thing what's the wrong thing to do this is an impossible decision. It really is. I don't know if it was my money, what I would do. Uh, Matt, what's your what's your take on this?
0: It actually, and you made a very, very good point in our chat just now, Ollie, that it's very eerily reminiscent of the Albon situation. The way I kind of see this going, though, if Mercedes is looking at, you know, marketability, sustainability, and who to hand off the reins of the Mercedes monster to once Lewis Hamilton inevitably retires in the next five years at most, I would say promote George Russell to Mercedes, send Botas to Williams, because with the new regulations for testing and the budget cap and the research, blah, 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 the 2022 car, they will be in a much stronger position coming forward in 2023 than they are this year going into 2022. And as much as I as I want to see Kenny Raikkonen do well, Alfa Romeo is not the same as Sauber a few years ago. They don't have the infrastructure, they don't have the flair they used to, and they're not the championship spotters they used to be, in my opinion. And I would always say, if you send Botos to Williams, does does today kind of open the door for Latifi to potentially, quote unquote, ascend to Alfa Romeo, or would he be better suited to stay with Williams with the new regulation changes coming forward?
1: Well, Williams don't want Bottas. I mean, no, no offence. Bottas is, I, I agree with what you're saying, it makes perfect sense, but Williams are transforming into this new business. I think they need they need someone younger. I mean, they're talking about Nick, Nick de Vries, aren't they, Done.
2: Yeah, we spoke about this a bit on the midweek News Roundup podcast, which is available on all good podcast platforms, as is this one. Um, shameless plug. Yeah, I don't, I actually think if Bottas doesn't stay at Mercedes, I think he will go to Williams. Because I reckon Latifi will stay at the team. Because I know they said they don't need a financial back driver. But they do want a financial back driver. And Bottas would be solid enough that he can bring in the points or positions, depending on what they're fighting for, for the team. Because there is no argument that Bottas is a bad driver. He's not, no matter what you say about him. So if Latifi can bring that money in and Bottas can bring the talent, so basically what they've got now, but with Russell... That's, that's like perfect for perfect for Williams. And I don't think Bottas will end up at Alfa Romeo. I can't see Nick De Vries coming into Formula One as a 26-year-old rookie. That's quite rare nowadays. You know, he's not as young as a lot of people think he is. But I don't know. I don't think anything will be announced over the summer break based on what happened today. Because I think Toto Wolff especially knows that drivers' mental health is massively important. And Bottas has been under so much media pressure. He's done what he's done today. He's not going to be feeling great about himself. So for then to Toto to go, by the way, we're announcing to several million people, your seat's gone. I don't think he'd do that.
0: So in your world, Dan, you're saying Latifi stays with Bottas.
2: I, I also feel f- like that's what would happen. I could be wrong, but I, I,
0: I, I wouldn't want that a, lineup,
1: would you? Yeah, I wouldn't want that lineup. I couldn't think of a lineup, lineup
0: I wouldn't want less. If you're going to lose Russell, which we all know is an inevitability, find another driver on the available market if he goes that would be as marquee driver's Botas, I don't think you would get the same buzz, the same excitement watching some of the guys come up from F2. I know there's great talent there. And it's better for them in the long run. Ollie, are you doing like fatal attraction right now with your legs trying to throw me off topic? Sorry, I've got a uh,
1: sunburn. My skin's peeling off. So I was just having a look uh, at it. But.
0: but if we look at the guys coming up, I mean, who were the Ferrari drivers at the front in F2? Those would be the most likely uh, ascensions to Alfa Romeo. And I just I think it, are we just going to gloss over the fact that Giovinazzi is probably gone at the end of this year no matter what?
2: I think Giovinazzi's staying. I can't you see stay? him going in. Because there's yeah, no... He, he's staying? The only... Yeah, I, there's no Ferrari Juniors in F2 other than probably Teo Puchet, Puchet, sorry, that okay. could end up at Alfa Romeo. I mean, you've got Piastri. Is he leading the championship or is he second in the championship? He's, leading he's an the Al, He's an Alpine reserve. Yu Zhou, second, is an Alpine reserve. Um, you got Dan Ticktum, who's up there, who's a Williams reserve driver, but I don't think he'll get into F1 because of his attitudes. Um... Oh, oh no, dang. Yuki did.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. we, I,
1: we, we forgot to mention the return of Yuki to, to Yuki's Andrew,
0: I think where I'm at with Alpha Romeo is, you know, Kimi. Kimmy's not staying much longer. Do we really see Giovinazzi staying in the future past 2022? You know, maybe there's somebody that can come up through the ranks. Maybe they can lure somebody away from the other driving academies. I think Alpha Romeo going forward in twenty twenty two at the beginning of the season, I called them the team to watch the team that I had the highest hopes for. I'm I'm going to recant that. I think once Kimi Raikkonen leaves, even being the 2007 world champion, there is no hope for Alfa Romeo right now, unless something drastically shakes up in that team, even with the enhanced wind tunnel testing times for next year, they're going to be the new Williams going forward in this new era of F1.
1: Yeah, that that's a, that's a bit of an insult. Um, For the listeners who don't understand... Well, don't see the the behind-the-scenes edits of this. We are really stalling because there is breaking news um, that Sebastian Vettel is going to be disqualified now. Um, Possibly. I don't feel that we're going to get this news in the time frame I'm willing to sit here and wait for it, recording with you guys. So I think we're going to have to direct. The people who are listening right now, if you don't know... If he got disqualified or not. Matt, where should they where should they go to find out?
0: Uh, right now they if they want to you know refer to me, they should probably find me in my local mental health hospital because I can't handle this. But the Formula <laughs> <Not> Nerds <news. laughs> can be found uh, across all socials, Instagram, Twitter, at Formula Nerds, Formulanerds.com, and on Facebook.
1: So when you listen to this in the in the future, that's where you'll find the result of was Vettel disqualified? Was he not? Um Guys, we've already done our race reviews. What we haven't done is our Drivers of the Day. I feel this is going to be quite a a spicy one. Um, Who shall I start with? I'm going to go with uh, Matt because I think it's going to be predictable.
0: It is not going to be predictable at all. My Driver of the Day, the vote that I cast, was Fernando Alonso. Uh, Watching him tangle with Lewis Hamilton, playing the ultimate team game. About to actually holding somebody up and racing, you should try it sometime. Uh, cementing Esteban Ocon's win today, and honestly, just seeing a return to form, forcing me to eat some crow about the the wily old fox coming out to play. Uh, brilliant drive from him, driver of the day, Fernando Alonso, no doubt.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, I um, I support your message. Um, not my driver of the day though, Dan. Who's yours? Your driver of the day, and if you say Bottas, I'm going to eject you from this right now.
2: I about knock on. I like the guy anyway. He drove a fault. Fort- he drove a faultless race. His background and story is incredible. I'm so so happy for him today. I really am.
1: Okay, Um Callum, driver of the day,
2: Nicholas Latifi.
1: What the f- he? I rate that. I write yeah. that.
3: He he was fantastic today. Didn't put a foot wrong. Finished in front of George Russell, which very rarely happens. And he was running for P3 for a considerable considerable amount of time and yeah, I couldn't follow the I think he was Nap even.
0: What? You broke Most up. Most of your me. nap he was running in P <laughs> <Yeah, all> three. <right.
1: laughs> you missed no, the greatest he, parts, he, Cal. Nicholas the T feet. Oh Dur- during that twenty minutes, mate. Oh
3: Oh I knew I knew what was going on. I had half an eye open and um no I didn't really I was knockout, out. But he he was brilliant from what I saw and yeah, he's my driver of the day.
1: Well, we don't agree again. This is this is why we love this
0: show, um, and I think you all know exactly what I'm going to say. So, when you say it's going to be predictable, you're saying that I know who I'm voting for, and that's the one's predictable, right? Well, you're not
2: about to vote Lewis, are you? Well, do you think I am?
1: Yeah. Based on the incredible stuff that he did today, do do, do you guys think I'm going to vote for Lewis right now? Absolutely then you know me very well. However, I most enjoyed today, Mick Schumacher.
0: Whoa! He, he was
1: my second choice, yeah. good Spice! Choice. You've got to give credit to the guy who delivers at his first opportunity. He's, he's not had even the slightest chance to show what he's about. He did today. So, for me, salute to uh, Mick Schumacher. And I hope... We see it more often.
2: Uh, Kimi Räikkönen was a bit of a shambles today, just as a quick note. He uh, absolutely, well, this wasn't his fault, but when he came out of his pit box, he uh, took Mazepin out of the race and then he got in the way quite a few times as a back marker as well. So, uh, yeah, Kimmy wasn't particularly useful today. Just as a quick quick side note to the rest of the podcast.
0: Yeah, I barely even remember him being in the race, to be honest. Um... He had the drinks today and I don't think it was the ones in the car. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, interesting fact we all learned the other day before we sign off. Where do you think drinks bottles are kept in an F1 car? This blew my mind. Damn, we, we, we all know in here, do we?
0: Right.
2: Yeah. My mind was blown as well. Matt,
0: where is it? It is in the nose. Because inside the leg uh, cockpit area for the drivers, they have to have smooth entry next. To they can't have anything to hang on to. The cockpit itself, when they're climbing in, you don't want to have a severed water line or something in there because it looks like they peed themselves and they got out. And it's all about weight balance. I mean, I only knew it from last year, doing a little bit of my little Sam Collins nerding out, but uh, that good a lot of people. So there's your fun factoid for our F1 fans. That's a lot of alliteration. The drinks bottles are secured in the nose.
1: Yeah. It makes no sense, but it's true. And on that note, I will thank you very much uh, for discussing this wonderful race that we had today. Uh, Matt, thanks very much, sir.
0: Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm going to not sleep and just stare at Twitter, refreshing it for the next couple hours and, you know, fearful tears.
1: Uh, Dan, who's not paying any attention
2: right now. Thank you. I'm looking to see if there's any news. Yeah. Thank you. Hopefully, Spa goes a little bit better for uh, for for Bottas and for me. But in the meantime, to drown my sorrows between now and Spa, make sure you tune into the midweek podcast every week. News roundup, me, Charlotte, and Jay, maybe some other panellists every now and again. We'll cover the news, we will cover rumours, opinions, and they will also abuse me for supporting uh, Bottas. So yeah, look look forward to that one every week and come come along and listen. And let's be honest you've got a hard job over the
1: next four weeks entertaining a whole podcast of news when there isn't any so I
2: can't wait to listen to you struggle brother ironically the one big news story that could come along is the one big news story I really don't want to come along I know <laughs> that's the Mercedes seat absolutely
1: um Cal thank you very much
3: yeah thank you for having me um
1: On a bit of a lower note,
3: I just want to give a nod to all of the marshals out there in the motorsport community. Tragically, uh, we lost a a marshal after an incident at Brands Hatch over the weekend. And, you know, it's it's an awful tragedy. But I think we can all agree that the marshals, the Orange Army, as everyone's calling them, uh, deserve a lot more credit than they actually get. They're all volunteers. They all put hours and hours and hours of their own time into making what we love possible.
1: So yeah, big nod to them. Absolutely. It, it, it was a tragedy. Let's just hope that it, it's put the spotlight on what these people actually do. You know, no one thinks about the, the risk to them, but it, it's, it's as we've seen very, very true. So all of our team wish the very best to their family. And of course there was another shocking incident this weekend. Luckily, um, everyone walked away, but at spa, um, Truly shocking. I don't Google it, uh, even if you're half interested. It's not pretty. Um, but Jack Aitken, he he has got away. Um, do we do we know his latest condition? <clears throat> so he's sorry, i he choked on my own lucid
3: there. So Jack Aitken actually suffered some fractured vertebrae, I believe, and a broken collarbone. Um, he did put on Instagram or Twitter one of the two that he would be you know, sort of flying home within the next week and recovering
1: in the UK. So that's good to hear. Absolutely. And it, it was, it, just to describe, it was a horror crash. Um, it, was, uh, it was those crashes where people don't walk away from. And um, I've actually followed Jack Aitken for so many years through his junior career. Um, and God, thank you to whoever's looking over him for, for walking away from that. It's, it's, uh,
2: it's, it's very special. Um, Dan, and not just Jack Aitken. Obviously, every single driver involved in that crash um, wish all the best too. And the fact the fact that it's at the point now where he's broken his collarbone and fractured a vertebrae, and that is the best possible outcome that anyone could have wished for, shows how bad that crash could have been. And we are very, very lucky that today, that yesterday, sorry, wasn't worse than it was, and it was terrible anyway.
1: Yeah, it does feel like we've had a couple of weeks of some really nasty crashes. Obviously, there was another one at Brands Hatch. Um, Even Verstappen two weeks ago, you know, let's not play that down. That was a nasty crash. He got away from it. So I think we need to celebrate um, the steps that we've made and reflect on uh, those that we need to take. But thank you very much for listening. We're going to be back next week with a special guest. She's in the W Series. She's pretty cool. She's American, and she's going to spend an hour with us talking all things racing. Matt, there's a smile on your face
0: already. Oh, it's my girl, Sabre Cook. Uh, w Series phenom, and probably the most promising American in motor racing full stop right now. Uh, I'm probably going to get in trouble with work, so I'm not going in, but I'm going to be there for that. It's wicked. So be there. We will see you next week.
1: Goodbye.
3: Podcast Network.